Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Thanks, Josh. I'm really excited about that because, whoa, we're having a party again. Um, uh, Because... I write um, my compassion letters online, right? And then sometimes my photo doesn't attach and my kids are asking me for photos. Like, what did you do over Christmas? Your new house, which was, you know, a year and a bit ago. And and just every time I haven't been able to do that. So I'm really looking forward to taking a picture. Maybe I can take a picture with some of you. And because I'm always telling them about my family at Lyft. And so, yeah, I'm really excited for that. So make sure you head there um, and check that out. And I reckon it would be cool if we could, can we write letters even though like to kids that aren't our own. Is that cool? Yeah. Let's just do that. Can just say, hey, I know your um, your sponsor parent and thought I'd just want to say hi. Why not? Let's do that. That'd be great. Um, all right. I just really think um, oh, God has something really special for us here this morning. So um, Sandy's with me. Um, awesome. Always good to have Sandy on board. Um, but this morning, yeah, I just, this is why I've invited the lovely Hannah back. Um, but I just think let's continue to lean in to God and his presence this morning. So why don't we pray? Hmm. Father God, we thank you for your presence here today. And, and God, we haven't come to church just out of religious practice, but God, we're here to meet with you. And so God, we pray that you would reveal Christ to us again today. And God, that we would know the depths of your love for us even more after today's experience. God, we ask that you would minister even as your word goes forward, God, that you continue to touch hearts and speak to us, God, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We are in a series um, called Imago Day, as you can see. Um, and Imago Day means made in the image of God. And we have, over the last couple of weeks, we started this series talking about sex, and that was awesome. We had Dr. Patricia come um, and teach us all about that, which was amazing, and God's design for um, our sexual lives. And That was great. And then last week, Pastor Nate brought a word as well um, around women and the design for women in the church, but also in our community. And it was awesome. We had this special 2 p.m. session where we just um, went into that a whole lot deeper. And I know that just by having conversations with some of you that this series is always Im- is already impacting you um, and is already, you know, writing some wrong mindsets that you've had about how God has created you. And so that's my prayer this morning that um, as we talk about God's design for love, that God would speak deep into your heart, that He would correct some old mindsets and breathe His truth into your reality this morning. And so I thought we'd start off by looking at Genesis chapter 1, um, where it all began. So Genesis chapter 1, God creates man and woman. And He creates us in His image, in the image of love. The Bible talks about how our God is a God of love, that love is not a characteristic He has, but that He is love. He embodies love. Every part of Him comes back to love. And I just think it's profound that God created us in the image of love. 
And I was doing a bit of research around this and scholars would compare God putting his image in us to that of statues and monuments of people around the world. A couple of years ago, no, more than a couple of years ago, um, Pastor Nate and I went to Israel and I remember seeing the statue of Elijah the prophet. Um, We were in Mount Carmel and and we just came to this area where he was there in statue form, of course. Um, And I just couldn't help but just stand there and look at this statue and think, wow, how amazing. And as I begun to remember the person that he was, all of these stories and all of these um, things about him came flooding back to my memory. And um, I started to, you know, just think about what God did through this person, Elijah. And so if you imagine that there were many statues of Elijah all over the world, not just in Israel, where every time a person would go and see the statue, they'd think about Elijah. Well, that's what God intended when he put his image in us. If you think about how many humans are here on planet Earth right now, God's design was that whenever we'd look at each other, that we would see in each other the image of God and that we'd perfectly reflect his love to one another. He wanted himself to be known by everyone and that's why he placed his image within us. Think about that for a moment. Isn't that powerful? That's amazing. And so that's how God created us. Adam and Eve, the very first humans in the garden. That was the reality. They had the image of God. They had the image of love on them, all over them, in every fibre of their being. And as well, they lived in this perfect love relationship with God and between themselves. It was that perfect. There was no need in the garden for forgiveness because there was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no relational issues. And some of you are thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great to get back to that? I know, I know, like, that's what I think. It would be amazing. But it was just perfect. And more than anything, God's design for us to know His love and that nothing would separate us from His love, that was in perfect form in the garden. But then we see in Genesis chapter 3 how man and woman, Adam and Eve, they sin. And so we see the fall of humanity. But before that, I want to lead you just to to have a look at this passage of Scripture because there were also these two particular trees that God put in the garden with Adam and Eve. And so let's take a look at that now. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 to 17, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The God made... The, the God, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that's two trees there. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, any tree. So there were lots of trees and then there were these two trees and the man could eat from any of them. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so often we skip over this passage, 
But what ends up happening is that Adam and Eve, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one tree that God said, stay away from. And so through this sin, death entered into their bodies. Death entered into this perfect world that God had created. And so what God does is that He takes them out of the garden. He banishes them from the garden. And on surface level, that looks like, God, why would you send away? Why would you reject someone because they have sinned? But the thing is, is that what we often forget is that there was a second tree. There was the tree of life. And so what it meant if they stayed in this place was that death had entered, there was sin in their midst and that connection with God was broken off. They weren't able to properly reflect God's love to one another anymore. And so if they stayed in that situation, they would be staying there for all eternity because as long as there was the tree of life, there was life. So we're talking life for eternity. And so God says, you know what? I don't want my children, I don't want those who are created in my image to stay in a place where they stay in proximity to death and sin. But I'm going to send them out into a place where there is no tree of life, where one day they will pass away, but one day I will be able to bring redemption to the world. I would... I would bring Jesus into this world so that instead of living a life where there is death and sin and then going to an eternity where there is death and sin, I will rewrite that story and I will send Jesus so that people can exist with eternal life, just how I originally designed things to be. That we would be close to the love of God, that nothing would separate us from the love of God. And so that's what God did. He sent Jesus. Hallelujah. In Romans 8, 38, verse, uh, 38 to 39, it says, And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Worries about tomorrow, we're talking about anxiety here. Not even anxiety, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so through our acceptance of Jesus, His death and His resurrection, we are brought close again. We have that original design to know God's love, to have nothing separate us from God's love. We are brought back to that original design. And God goes one step further where He says, I don't want to just keep it to that, but I want my children to be restored to the image of love. In the fall of man, that image was marred, but now God through Jesus makes a way that our image can be restored more and more back to that image of love. Not so just so that we could experience God's love, but so that our world, as we go out into our world, we can reflect the love of our God. But you know, as a Christian, confession time, as a pastor, I mean, some of you might think, oh, surely pastor, you're like Christian times too. You're amazing. Um, but can I confess to you that sometimes I don't feel very close to God's love. 
that sometimes I still sense that separation from God and His love. Even though His design, even though He sent Jesus and that work is done. And so in God's eyes, love is right here. It's closer than the breath that I breathe. It's even closer than that. But for me, sometimes in my journey, just as a human, I can feel so distant from God's love. And you know, what God showed me was that it all comes back to the way that we think, what we believe. You know, I love in prayer meeting how Joe said, we're going to pray for healing over mindsets. And I believe that that's exactly what God wants to do this morning, that He wants to heal mindsets that keep us away from His love, that keep us separated from His love. And so this morning, I just wanted to share three shifts that I had to make, that God led me to make so that I could experience His love in fuller form, that I'd be restored back to that, but also so that God could restore His image of love in me, that I may reflect His goodness and His glory into the world. So three things this morning that I want to quickly talk to you about, and then we're just going to allow God to do what He wants to do this morning. So the first shift that God caused me to make was the thinking that God loves me constantly. There's not a moment of the day that goes by, not even if it's mundane, where God doesn't love me. You see, where I first began to notice this was a pattern in my devotional life with God where I felt like I couldn't really go into His presence, where there was no reason to book in time with him, not that he wouldn't come and meet me, but, but I, sorry, not that I wouldn't go and meet him, but I just felt like he would withhold from me if there was no need, if there was no pressing need. So for so long, I waited till, God, I had a ministry opportunity. Okay, God, I'm here because I need this from you. Or, or God, I'm going through a difficult time and I need strength. God, I'm here. I know you give in these situations. And you know, what I found having this kind of relationship with God is that I reflected that to other people. That it was only when people needed help or wanted me around that I would actually be in relationship with them willing to love them and so for so often I took a back seat in loving people and it wasn't there in the day-to-day in the Monday picking up the little details but you know what I found as I got around people who would love in the day-to-day I realized how amazing their love for people would grow and I saw it in Pastor Nate and many of you know his journey with Robin that as he was more and more interested in her every day in the mundane things, in the, hey, how's uni going? Whatever, you know, and sometimes it'd feel like it was the same conversation over and over again. But you know what I began to see in Robin was that through Nate's love of the mundane stuff, she was being made whole. She's healing from stuff and growing more secure and just flourishing in the things of God. And it's all because Nate showed this love of God that he is interested in every single moment of every single day. And, you know, I've begun to do a little bit of research into this and learning about some adoption stuff is that we learned that parents who would take the time 
in the mundane kind of playtime moments with their children, instead of kind of being busy and only going towards their child when their child had a need or, you know, they heard a crash in the other room and they needed to run over to check it out. But you know what? What we found was that parents who would stop what they're doing and kind of just make time for the mundane stuff, that their child bonded better with them that they grew more secure because of the love that the parents showed in the mundane kinds of, kinds of moments of life. And so as I began to see God, that God, wow, you're actually interested in my everyday, in my mundane, then it meant that I didn't have to wait to get into His presence. It, it meant that I didn't have to wait to do something significant or feel like, okay, God, I've achieved something. I can come and see you now or, you know, I didn't have to wait. But God was saying that every single day, every single moment, I love you. And I love how the Bible talks about, it's this one small verse, but it means so much, that God has numbered the hairs on your head. You know, that doesn't mean that, oh yeah, you've got a thousand, two hundred and whatever hairs on your head. But it means that God has, what He does is that He goes, okay, hair number one. Hair number 227, hair number 256. And I don't know about you, but every day I lose so much hair in the shower. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was starting to freak out about it the other day. And it's like, chill out, it's normal. I'm like, this is not normal. So every single day, every single shower I take, and then ladies know the malting afterwards. Um, so every single time, every single day, every single moment of every day, God is numbering the hairs of my head. How weird, how amazing, right? That God actually cares about the little moments of every day, the mundane, the stuff that we overlook. I don't know when the, the last time was that you, you know, went and counted somebody's hair on their head. Uh, I don't know. But um, God does that. And He so, so loves you every single moment of every day. Yeah, just taking that truth for a moment. Because as you meditate on that, it's going to make a world of difference to, way, to the way that you see yourself, but also the way that you reflect God's love to others. The second shift that I needed to make was that God's love isn't dependent on how righteous I am or how much like God I look. You know, just the last week, um, we were at Curtin University and I had this conversation, really funny conversation with um, a student who happened to be Indian and, and we introduced ourselves and I normally shake a person's hand when we first meet. And so we'd already done that and we're starting to talk a bit about ourselves and just exchange information. And it was quite a bit into the conversation where uh, he asked, so where are you from or where are your parents from? And, and I said, you know, my parents are from India, uh, Calcutta, Bangalore. And he just stopped and he was like, it is such a privilege to meet you. It's <laughs> like, okay, so it wasn't a privilege before, but now because you hear that I'm of Indian descent, <laughs> it's such a privilege. And I just thought, well, my first thought was, huh, if you only knew how un-Indian I am, it would just break your heart in this moment. It was hilarious. But as I walked away from that conversation, I just thought, huh, 
It was like he loved me more because I was like him. And I just think, God, I thank you that your love's not like that. That while I was a sinner, while I was imperfect and you are perfect, while I didn't forgive people, you forgave. That God, while I hated myself, while I hated others, you loved. That while I was so different to you, praise God, I'm becoming more like him. But while I was so different to him, while you were so different to him, that's when he sent Jesus to die, to die for your sin. You know, you, you might, you might not consciously be aware of that, but how do you treat people? Do you hold back your love or do you tend to not embrace those who are different from you? I'm not condemning you for that action, but I want you to look and see what's behind that action. Is it because you feel like God doesn't embrace you because you are so different from him? Is that the reason why? Because I want to tell you today that Jesus came. He died for you while you were at your lowest point while you were racked with sin, while you were still so far from perfection, Jesus died for you. God wanted you to know that I love you just the way you are. Christians, we don't need people to change before we embrace them with the love of God. You know, I've been hanging out with some of these girls who come from Hindu backgrounds and every single time it blows my mind because every single time I'm with them, I just sense God's urgent love for them. He's just like, I love them so much. (laughs) I just want them to know that. And I feel it every time I'm with them. And so we're having these conversations about Him and it's amazing. But, But every time there's this dialogue in my head where I'm like, but God, they're so different to you. They're so different to us. They're not even in the same camp. They believe in all these other gods and you hate idolatry. How can you love? People are so different from you, but God just says, no, you've missed it. You've missed the point. I love each and every one of my children and I want them to be restored back to that image of love. I so desperately desire it. And so Christian this morning, I believe there are more people, look around you, there are empty chairs and I believe there are more people that could be filling these spots this morning, but it takes us embracing different. It takes us embracing people who are not the same as us, who might swear and carry on and and whatever. But how are they gonna know the love of God if we don't first go to them, even when they're so different? They might not look the same. They might not act the same. You know, it's so cool. When I first became a Christian, I went to Perth Christian Life Centre and I made, made this really great group of girls. But something I found hilarious about these girls, well, teenagers, right, like 15-year-olds maybe. Um, but it was hilarious because they'd always come to church in their like little heels and like sophisticated clothing and try to dress all up with their jewellery and their hair. I'm like, you're 15, enjoy life. Like, what are you doing dressing up like a, like a young woman? I'm like, you're 15. And I didn't fit in. I, I was more like, like this and a little bit more edgy, a little bit more, you know, I had that really edgy haircut for back then. Um, and I was like, I'm so different to these girls. 
But they embraced me so much and they made me feel like one of their own anyway. And it was the best thing ever. And, you know, I dabbled in their fashion a little bit, but I was like, nah, can't do those little heels and the the makeup and the hair. I'm just going to come as I am. And they loved me. They accepted me. And it just reflected to me that God loves all of us. It doesn't matter your skin colour. It doesn't matter your heart or your body shape. It doesn't matter what background you're from, what gods you worship, what other gods you worship. God loves and He sent Jesus for every single one of us. While we were so different from Him, He loved so close. He got up close and personal. And so that was the second shift that I made. And so the third shift that I made, that God led me to make, is that God's love is the healing force and is the change maker. It's His love that changes us and heals us. If I can get the rest of the band up, that'd be awesome. You know, a few months ago, I started to feel like I was hitting this brick wall with a person. I loved them dearly, but there was just something stopping me from fully going all out and embracing them, and I knew it, and I felt ashamed for it. And so I brought it to God and and in an instant, He opened my eyes to see that I was waiting for the person to change before loving, before accepting wholeheartedly. And that's what God said, Beck, that's your problem. You're waiting for this person to change, but understand that it's my love that heals the brokenhearted. It's my love that causes the change that needs to take place. It doesn't come beforehand. It only comes after. And of course, I knew this. I knew this in my mind. I had said it so many times before. But God was highlighting that I didn't actually believe it. It was not a heart conviction I held. It was just knowledge in my mind. And so God began to help me see this shift. And and we see this very shift in John chapter 8. This beautiful story. Jesus went across to the Mount of Olives, but He was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to Him and He sat down and taught them. The religious scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in an act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to, to stone such people. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. So random. It's like, what are you doing? Can you imagine that? They're all like asking him a question. He's just like, like, oh God. Jesus, you can play in the dirt later. It's fine. He bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you, go first, throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away, one after another, beginning with the oldest, oldest, wisest. So good. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, 
said Jesus, go on your way. From now on, don't sin. You know, from this passage of Scripture, we don't know what happened to this woman later on. We don't know if she went away and changed. Some scholars say that she did and she became such a close follower of Jesus. But you know, I believe that God didn't want to include what she went on to do in that passage because that wasn't the main thing. The main thing was that Jesus was willing to come towards her even while she was in her sin because Jesus knew that it was only by His love and His expression of love that this woman could actually change. He didn't expect her before that act of love and coming down to a level. But he actually believed that, no, it's only by my love that people can change. You know, for me, I remember when I was in year nine, when I was going through a tough time with my body image, um, my mum and I went to the doctor's practice to see the doctor. And I was there because I hated myself. I hated my body and I was starving myself whenever I could. Um, and so, of course, any loving mum would be concerned. And so we started to go see the doctor and the doctor called us into her office. And, you know, we did the whole weighing and, and looking at where I was with my weight goals and, and how things were tracking along. So we did all that kind of stuff. And then she asked us to sit down on the couple of chairs that were there. And then she asked us, how are you going? You know, it wasn't one of those, hey, how are you? It was one of those, how are you going? How are you going with this situation? And that's when my mum began to cry and she just let out that, I don't want my daughter to die. I'm scared that my daughter is gonna die from this. And in that moment, I actually didn't realise how much my, my mom actually loved me until that happened, until she made this expression of her love for me. I just didn't know it. And I had no idea of the weight that she was carrying for me as I was putting myself through this dysfunctional eating behaviour. I had no idea. But you know, it was through God's love for me, I believe, and mum's expression of love where I actually decided in that moment that, you know what, I'm going to make a change in my life and I'm not going to continue leaning into anorexia and, and everything that, you know, culture would say I need to be like, but I'm actually going to turn around. I'm going to repent and turn my back on that and I'm going to walk into a healthier relationship with myself. It was only in that moment where love was expressed to me, where my heart was healed and I could change my behaviour. Christian, are you waiting to change your behaviour before accepting God's love for you? Or are you like this woman willing to be there in front of God, in front of Jesus, knowing that He doesn't condemn you. Remember, He doesn't condemn you, but He heals you and He gives you the capacity to change. It's only through God's love 
that we can actually do that. And this morning, I really believe that God wants to heal some of our hearts here this morning. Where we've been waiting to get things right ourselves, but God's saying, no, just let me love you first. Because together, we can make that change. Romans chapter 8, 38 to 39. I'm going to read that passage again. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's design for love is that we would never be separated from Him. But as we learnt through the fall of man, there was that separation, but Jesus came to pay it all. And this morning, if you, you know that you are separated from the love of God, that you haven't been able to come into His presence because of shame or because of guilt, because of wrong thinking, then this morning, I would love to lead you into a prayer that brings you right close in by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Saviour this morning. Jesus brings you, him, brings you in to this place of love with God, but as well, He starts a restorative work in you, a transforming work in you. And so if that's you this morning, I would love for you to repeat this prayer with me. But you know, as a family, we pray this prayer together, so you're not alone. But this morning, if you want that, if you want to no longer be separated from God's love, remember He's right there close to you. All you need to do is confess that Jesus is Lord. So come on, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank You for dying for my sin. I believe You to be the way to God and eternal life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Saviour. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.